The following podcast may cause you to change your understanding of what it really means to be a human being. Side effects may range from a minor loss to complete annihilation of ego, a feeling of merging with something bigger than previously conceived, and a deep, abiding peace. Please, continue at mortal risk to yourself as a separate entity. Welcome. Enjoy. Hey everybody, Ken Jenkins, host of All One Time Live. Brief intro before today's episode 7 on Animal Encounters. First I want to give a big thank you to Camilo Campo for posting his song, whose credits are within the description, and you'll hear it in the background during a portion of this episode. But also, before we begin... As I hope to do in all future episodes, I want to take a moment to encourage you to just drop into the present before you begin listening to this podcast and perhaps doing what else you'll be doing simultaneously. I often listen to podcasts while doing something else, but not always. Whatever the case is. Drop into the present at this moment. Feel yourself within your body, wherever you are, whatever your position. Sense your musculoskeletal system, your nervous system. Do you have pressure somewhere? Is something a bit out of line? If so, you can correct it. Be aware of your breath as it is constantly flowing in and out of your lungs, supplying your body with oxygen. Feel the warmth of your skin beneath your clothes. Perhaps feel the coolness of the air or its heat or humidity. A breeze. Be aware of the sound around. I hear the Slight echo of my voice off the walls of the room in which I am recording this right now. Be aware of this moment that you are experiencing right now. Be aware of it within, inside of you, and without on the outside of you, as you exist in awareness in this infinite continuum of being in multiple dimensions, the three dimensions of space, the fourth time, and beyond in which these four are nestled, perhaps. Enter that infinite realm through being. When our mind is in the future or the past, we are unable to enter that sacred space. In my experience, that is the gateway, is in being present and being quietly alert. And in that space, I have found often there is the most peace. And if in entering that space you feel some level of anxiety, feeling of fear or being alone 
stand in that cold space or stand in the fire of that strong feeling or emotion because it will pass. It is no more permanent than anything else. And this experience is to dissolve into the impermanence, the permanent impermanence of infinite being, of your being right now within this soup of intermingling infinity, the ongoing wave of creative energy in the universe that you are one moment of, one aspect of, and at the same time, the whole, sort of like a fractal. But not to get into mental exercises of visualization. Just to encourage dropping down into the moment, whatever method suits you best is your easiest way of coming into the comfort of the now. Take a beat and do that. And now, episode seven, with humility and gratitude and love, I appreciate you listening to this. I hope that you enjoy it. Enjoy. Here you go. Greetings. Greetings, friends, loved ones, all listeners, all consciousnesses, all one. Thank you for listening, continuously continuing to listen to this podcast, as clumsy as it may be. It is also authentic. It's not going to be so polished a production. It comes to you with humility, and I endeavor to be at my most humble in delivering these, but not without bringing my my person to it. I am today going to be talking about animal encounters in this episode 7 of All One Time Live. And before we get into those encounters, a question about why would this be an important topic? Why do I think it's important? To me, it very much appears that we, as the society that I'm, that I associate with, that I hang with, that I identify with, that I come from, such an encounter with an animal is dismissed or at least discouraged uh, to be recognized as anything more than just a meeting with an animal like bumping into a chair. Maybe there's a little more personality to it there and gosh um some of the things that some of our encounters with animals like at 
factory farms are just on the way other end of the, the awful horror spectrum. But in the nice encounters, I seem to recognize a <clears throat> reluctance to acknowledge anything more than just um, an encounter that there isn't sort of uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna risk sounding foolish here but sort of a psychic connection uh, for lack of better terms and it's not that all animal encounters are that way though perhaps all of them could be that way but it depends on both the both senders and receivers as being sort of engaged and in play and uh, sort of alert to and tuning into and uh, you know focused on that just like two people talking like maybe in a room of 20 people everybody is able to talk but you're not talking to all 20 and even the person you're looking at may not may be thinking of something else may not be talking may not be talking to you uh, whatever it doesn't you know it's it's not to deny their ability uh, to have a conversation with you whether or not they are the animal encounters I'm gonna be sharing today are something like that it's not always psychic um, as like a direct conversation though sometimes it, it seems to be something akin to that but they all are special. They all have happened at times to me in ways which how I could describe them now as being some manifestation of consciousness in another living form seeing itself, recognizing itself through the beauty of the other form and sort of, I don't know, um, either giving just a nod or even maybe shaking hands or something like this. The language isn't quite, it's not English. Most often, I can't think of an example off the top of my head that has been like a direct conversation in a specific language. But nevertheless, there's some exchange of meaningful intention and interaction and mm, acceptance, uh, verification of, of the other being and a witness and a, uh, some mutual recognition of consciousness. And in really in taking that a step further and stepping out of my mind and out of my consciousness and entering, if you will, the consciousness of the other, it is to recognize the true whole wholeness and whole sphere of, of being, the, the universe of the life of that other as being significant, as being as significant as ours, as not being insignificant which is what I think we often tend to relegate such encounters or perceptions of consciousness of animals to, as being something somewhat less significant than our own. And I don't believe that that is the case at all. 
I believe that it's our own <clears throat> ego that, you know, puts us up on some pedestal falsely. When the consciousness is extended like this, something can happen there. And I'm going to share a non-animal story at the moment. When I was working in hospice, and I was sitting next to a woman's bed, to whom I would read the Bible, because that is what her daughter had asked the uh, attendant to do. The job description was really to um, not just provide the activities of daily living and personal care, but a loving presence as well. <clears throat> Depending on the day and the person and what the needs were, you know, the activities could vary dramatically. And one day I'm sitting in her room and I'm reading the Bible to her. And I'm looking, she's lying in a bed. She's in a, she's in like a vegetative state. She doesn't move. She doesn't, there's no change in her condition, it seems, ever. But her daughter dutifully comes to see her. I'm not sure if it was daily, but it, it seems to be it was at a, <clears throat> at a regular and high frequency. And I'm sitting there reading the Bible, but I'm looking at her nose as she's lying prone. I'm sort of have a view a bit like up her nostril. And I like curiously, I had, um, Stories tend to bundle up, but this is how life is. It's a string of experiences connected to each other. So uh, I'm going to back out of that hospice uh, patient's room for a moment. Uh, and just to say that earlier than that, within a couple of years, I had done my first Vipassana. And one of the most incredible experiences I had in that first Vipassana through the somewhere in the second or third day when all we're doing is practicing focusing our attention on the air and the breath as it comes in and goes out of our nostrils. I had a moment of such intensity that I was standing sort of in the nostril with this teacher that was there in the hall as if it was this great arch of stone and this wind was just like... you know, blowing back and forth through it. Sounded much mightier than that, but it was, so that's a little bit of background. Now back to this hospice patient's room. I'm looking at her nostril and I'm curiously sort of starting to enter the nostril and I'm getting this same sort of real, almost visceral experience and, and I don't know, environment of, of being there. And I start to go into it a bit. It's, it's blackness. And it was a like a nice rounded nostril, like a, a nice little cave or something. And she sneezed. And that <laughs> really was like, okay. So extension of consciousness though it seems to be 
again, almost an exercise in imagination. Something is really able to happen through that exercise. Something legitimate, some actual stretch of consciousness. And so, with encountering animals, there is a joining that I believe is, is much more than a, a passing bump. It is a, a handshake. It is something more intimate. It is a conversation, perhaps, in some language which isn't the language that I'm speaking now, or that type of language, but <clears throat> is somehow a communication, a meaningful one. And at times it seems quite auspicious and profound. And uh, anyways, we'll get into some of these now. The first... First encounter is going to be the most recent one, the most recent meaningful one. I've I've been in the forest often here. I love spending time there, and I've certainly seen my share of deers and had some nice encounters where we're just looking at each other at a fairly close distance. And, you know, there's a definite recognition and, you know, sort of like, yes, I see you, I know you're there, and curiosity, what are you, and are you a threat, or are you cool, and, you know, then the... the sort of passing by it's not that level of contact and communication that's more let's call it pedestrian it's something to have to do with the coincidence a synchronicity sort of as, as um, I don't know as life arcs rays lines uh, what are those ley lines sort of I don't know if if there are vectors of life energy on the the map of the universe we're creating as we move about and a moment is happening for us and there's an opportunity for a moment in the universe to sort of accentuate the moment for any being but of course us and in our perspective and who's listening and telling the story here, uh, then that opportunity may come in. And that can be through an animal, can be through an element, can be some other way. It's in this, this way that this first story happens. Um, and perhaps several of them happen. Uh, recently... After I'd recorded the first few podcasts and was listening to them to critique them as I do, believe it or not. Actually, this is the second time for me recording this episode seven on animal encounters from some critique um, and evaluation. I'm walking through the forest near my home and I'm listening to the episode one and I'm talking about this sort of walk in the forest the John Boatman walk where there's an intention of of listening and of being willing to to hear and also of encounters in this episode one I talked about one with the hawk and 
I mentioned that there are other animal encounters, and I also mentioned that oftentimes I still need to go on this John Boatman walk and actually turn off the podcast. And just around this, uh, these words that are that are like right exactly about what I am the activity I'm engaged in right now at the moment. Uh, I stop in the path, and a, a snake comes out. And it's a like golden copper colored snake. It's a harmless snake. I know all the the snakes um, that we'd find in the forest here would be harmless. This is called a slow worm, if you translate it from Swedish. And it's just this beautiful, like golden copper snake. And I realized, like, all right, podcast off, headphones or earbuds out. And this is an encounter and uh, an important one. And when I had actually recorded the first episode seven, it was the the morning after a night of very little sleep. And that's because this song that has started to play in the background now had just been released within minutes uh, after actually um, had just been posted on, on YouTube just minutes after I awoke and as I awoke and was laying in bed I had a strong feeling to to come out of bed and uh, sit on the couch because something special was to happen and I thought that that special thing may have been an encounter with my dogs because I would be recording this uh, animal episode that day and I had been working with dogs and my dogs had been very fresh in my heart who have both passed but it wasn't that. I, I was moved to put my earbuds in and like just randomly scroll through whatever on my phone. <clears throat> and uh, there was a post of this um, uh, musician who had accompanied the uh, South American shamans to the retreat that I was at and was really a... a to me almost like a shaman himself with his music and the way that he would be able to play so beautifully uh, and be so present and there was this song that he had uh, played during the um, retreat which I don't know <clears throat> Spanish, I don't know the words, but I hear Serpentano, and that's what I named it, was Serpentano, the serpent. And it turns out that it's a song about the holy waters coming to you uh, from their source, and as they come to you, they move like a serpent. And this was a song that I loved in a very special way and I had written to the musician in the 15th of March to ask if he could uh, or 15th of May yeah 15th of May to ask if, if he'd be willing to put this on like his YouTube channel he's like sure and you know months pass and suddenly this night before recording the first version of episode 7 about animal encounters I awake in the middle of the night I move to get out of bed. I come out, put on my earbuds. And uh, there it is that in the time that I got out of bed, came out here and blah, 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 it was posted. And just 
I don't know, you know, it could have been to the minute, really, that I, I woke up when this post came, but it just felt, like, sensational. And it was underscoring the meaningfulness of the serpent uh, and the, the strong symbolism of that. And this encounter in the forest here was, was well-timed for me to have that underscored. And I hadn't had <clears throat> such a snake encounter in Sweden ever. And here it was, as I'm listening to this podcast about having such animal encounters. And I crouch down, and I'm present with the snake, this beautiful golden copper snake. And it is absolutely still. And I humble myself, because this is this is what is needed. It's not to humble yourself as if, oh, I need to humble myself because I'm so much better. It's just about letting go any like concept of form that you in your form are anywhere in, in a ranking somehow above this animal. Just recognize the animal. Appreciate its beautiful presence. See it and let it see you and I felt that moment and when I felt that moment the snake opened its mouth and flicked its tongue a couple of times and it felt like that was confirmation of that moment that the timing was just then and then the snake ended up turning around and slowly going back into the forest Met with a friend the next day, told him about, or I met with a friend a few days later, uh, told him about this encounter. And then the day after telling him about the encounter, I'm in a walk, I'm on a walk in the woods with my wife and a different kind of snake crosses the path. That was interesting. All right. Um, so I wanted to share that most recent one to start with, but now actually we're going to go back in time and uh, start with one of the first most impressive ones to me. And that was the beginning of the John Boatman walk and the beginning of my experience in accepting myself as a small member of a much larger orchestra of beings of conscious forms that I was able to recognize and listen to and learn from and be so lucky as to engage with at all and I was I think 19 at this time and it was uh, I had a pretty thick head to get through relatively I'm sure there are thicker ones and I'm sure there are less thick ones but it was um, a challenging concept <clears throat> to really let go of this idea that I was a, a wanderer in this world somehow separate from it instead of like a being within it as a component 
part mixing and 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 you know the the language of english especially that that i have to use is limited to a, an understanding of reality in a very three-dimensional sense and sometimes four a very you know um causal relationship and and newtonian mechanical approach and maybe if they were more elegant sophisticated developed terms from quantum sort of realms i would have a broader variety of descriptions that i could use that would be more apt but i, I don't even know because i don't know if that's a correct um uh metaphor or system but somehow i mean given the infinite all things are integrated like infinitely and the relationship that one is able to have when one steps out of feeling separate and into what is the miraculous infinite state of being right now with all beings then one is sort of back in school and and back in this the dynamic multi-dimensional swirl of of life of and there's coming and going all the time and at the moment that we're here to for me to speak these words and for you to hear them we are here passing through for some finite amount of time within the infinite and the consciousnesses come and go and come and go and to us while we're here they feel so special and significant and the whole world is sort of about me or you know this is the whole world appears to me so i'm at the center of it but everybody is at the center of it that's sort of every every center and every being is the sort of holographic reality that just is at the very edge of what i would like to be able to talk more eloquently about if i only had the right vocabulary but in any case this day when i was 19 with the hawk was one of the first moments of me encountering the consciousness in another being that signified to me that i am indeed not alone and ooh ooh Some guy outside the store gave me this piece of paper the other day. They were playing guitar and singing, and he talked far too close to me in these COVID times for me to be comfortable with it. But he handed me this little Bible piece. It's from Matthew. Uh, this is in Swedish, so I'm struggling. To It's 7, uh, seven to 8. Jesus said, uh, Seek and you shall... A ask and you shall receive seek and you can f you shall find knock and the door shall be open to you so at 19 i realized that if i humble myself to knock on the door to ask i will find to knock on the door it will be opened if i am willing to accept this grand incredible majesty of the infinite that i am absolutely of course indeed a part of it's it's a ridiculous notion to think that any one of us are somehow out of that infinite um out of the rest of the universe though we tend to for some reason as if i am willing to humble myself and humble myself and accept that i am a part of this truly and ask to engage and, and and state my intention to listen and to learn 
the teacher appears. Um, the word is spoken. It is the voice is heard. the The door is opened. So I've already told this story about the hawk, but in short, the challenge was given by John Boatman to his students to go for a walk and say to Creator, "Hey, um, I'm listening on this walk. Uh, if you have anything, you know, to to say, I'm going to be listening." And just as I said that, uh, a hawk cried, and that was a distant animal encounter, but a profoundly meaningful one. And I have to add, which I haven't said before, this is Brookfield, Wisconsin. I don't know if I've ever heard a hawk out there. It's not a typical sound that I was familiar hearing. So it was quite special. It was more like a television show sound. Um, so yeah, that was, that was in about 1990-ish. Uh, maybe 91 something like that uh also around that time so this was the beginning and this gave me some excitement and i really like was embracing the the native american lifestyle or or the native american at lifestyle but um beliefs in and religio philosophical traditions as they were being taught to me by john in his class and, and through the experience of uh field trips etc and readings and understandings and applying these understandings to life and, and getting direct feedback uh, that are, you know, some parts are, are shared in this uh, podcast series. And so I'm, I'm getting into this and I'm, my disbelief is just like more easily evaporating away. And uh, it's great. And one, I, I had a job as a security guard at the Milwaukee Art Museum for a while. And there is, before the addition of the Calatrava uh, Breed of Soleil extension, it used to just be in the old um, Veterans War Memorial at the end of Lincoln Memorial Drive in downtown Milwaukee. And uh, there was an east entrance which faced the lake. And we would sometimes have special events at that east entrance. And there uh, I sat at the register with a little clicker to, to take people's, uh, give, give them tickets to come into the museum and count them. And, and I'm sitting there and I have long hair and a ponytail and wearing a polyester guard suit. And uh, there was a fly buzzing around and someone just happened to ask me, hey, is that fly your pet or something? Because I think I was like talking to it or whatever. Probably I was somehow interacting with it uh, noticeably. And I'm like, yeah, he's, he's my buddy. And he's like, oh, yeah, does he do any tricks? I'm like, yeah, well, um, I can I can make him land on my nose. And whoop, he landed right on my nose. And it was like a really great moment. And the guy just like didn't say anything else after that. And, you know, just kind of like took his brochure or something as, as the memory comes and uh and and walked in you know given given me a second look for sure and i was absolutely delighted and a bit shocked by this but delighted because i had felt like we had this this friendship oh yes also as i was thinking of how to re-record this episode recently um i thought of this story to share and a fly came and i asked if the fly would come on my finger and it did uh, it, it walked up there and, and uh, 
I'm like, can I take a picture? And it was like, yeah, that's cool. And so I took some pictures and I don't know if I can, if I'm able to post that uh, on this platform or whatever. I, I do this through Anchor Radio, which is a great way to get your podcasts out there. But um, anyways, that was uh, meaningful to me to be able to have another fly encounter as I'm considering the content for this recording I'm doing right now. All right. Um, 1992, I was about, these are all ish years, but 1992 um, ish. Some are more exact than others, but 1992 uh, ish, you know, again, I'm I'm learning more, but I'm, you know, life is going on more. I'm, I'm well into the undergraduate experience of college and, um, you know, developing more of an independent self and, and developing in my art and uh, still involved in student council camp, but probably less responsibly. I, I certainly um, became less responsible as the years went on because I was just heading in a different direction. Uh, and this is a, a mild regret uh, insofar as I could have served those students better had I been more fully present. But I wasn't, and that's how it went. And uh, I'm very grateful for the organization and advocate for it a thousand percent. So um, around this time in my life, 1992-ish, maybe I was coming back from a student council camp. I'm not sure, but I was heading up north to be with my family uh, and Wild Rice Lake where we would spend a, a week or two in the summers for vacation. And I went out on a pier and the pier... Uh, was like the the big pier. Each the, each cabin had a boat with a small pier and their boats on. But this was like the big pier of off the main beach. Not a huge beach, but you know the main beach of this little cluster of maybe nine cabins. And I go out there, and there are some kids that were throwing stones. Uh, and I'm asking them what they're throwing stones at. They're throwing them way off into this like little bay area to the left, maybe. Uh, 20 30 meters or something and they said there's a snake in the water i'm like oh, oh hey don't throw stones at the snake these i'm now like 1920 and these kids are i don't know like in their tweens maybe and uh brother and sister and there's a littler one too um and i'm like don't throw stones at the snake you know just let the snake be and uh, it's all right. It's not bothering anyone. You know, let it be. It's pretty neat. And as we're sitting there, the snake, like, comes up uh, towards the pier and was sort of like where I'm sitting. It was like in the water at the pier. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And I, I wanted it to, uh, it was coming towards us, but not at us. And, and I wanted it to, to like, I wanted to have this connection with it, right? Because I had been used to that. So since they stopped throwing rocks, the snake was closer, maybe now 10, 15 meters. And, and I was trying to like psychically communicate with the snake to say, snake would you come here you know would you come here and like i even wanted to like pet it right like I even i even imagine like i would put my hand and this this is a poisonous snake i believe so um 
but I would have done that at the time, and I would not do that now. And if that's better or worse, I'm not going to say, because really, like, anything can bite you and kill you uh, or hurt you, and it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to happen. So there is indeed a reason to be cautious uh, and not to threaten something, but also not to see it as purely evil and threatening and dangerous. Anyways, the snake didn't uh, come over for me to pet it. And after a while of sitting there, I felt stupid because I felt sure, I felt certain that I had a connection with the snake. And then after a while, I felt stupid and just uh, got up and walked off the pier and walked back up towards the cabin. And as I was about halfway up the trail back towards the cabin, the kids started yelling, Ken, 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 come here, come here, you got to see the snake, come here. And so I'm like, all right, and I come back down, and uh, the snake was gone, but they, but I'm like, what? And you could see the mark on the end of the pier. They're like, the snake, it was up here, it was right here where you were sitting. The snake had come up right on the, on the pier. That was pretty cool. The kids didn't know what I was trying to do sitting there. Um, that's not like, I'm going to try to get the snake to come here. No, it's just, uh, it's just how it happened. That was neat. Um... About 1995, I was taking a course with uh, through John Boatman again. We'd go out to a, a nature center and learn about the trees, more ethnobotany, plants and trees, and uh, and some of the significance to the Menominee um, in that area. And it was during this time that I uh, was near a creek and was just sitting by the creek and there was a uh, a crayfish in the water and as i sit there and i noticed the crayfish and the crayfish was facing away from me in shallow water five centimeters or so at the edge of the creek um, I sit there and then I notice the crayfish with my eyes and my consciousness and when i do so the crayfish sort of like turns around and sort of lifts itself and looks up at me and I'm like oh I'm like hey wow yeah hey I did that like I'm making you look up at me and the crayfish then like turned around and was like yeah whatever and immediately I was struck with this like ego you know recognition that I I had played myself that I rammed the ego in there that I I disturbed the, the the still reflecting pool by stamping all over it with my pride, with my desire to have power over another, with my desire to elevate myself above a being to pull its strings and make it do my bidding. That foolish, egoic tendency. I've known it well, and it's been a lesson to be able to learn how to not even have it show up or if it does if its scent comes around to just let it go to let it fall away because when that ego comes in there it's it's not about mind control of another animal it's not at all it's a polite meeting there's a um an etiquette to it a gentle loving serene humble authentic etiquette of meeting so I recognize this. And I'm like, oh, let you know, let that go, let that go, let that go. And I'm like, hey, 
hey, I'm here. I'm sorry. Like, you're beautiful. And the, and the crayfish then again, like, turned around and looked at me. And of course, right away, I'm like, yes, you know, yes, I knew that was what it was. I did it. And the thing turned around again. And I'm like, oh, you idiot. So once again, you know, I rush through this, like, shame and, and recognition of ignorance and some embarrassment uh, and a heap of humility come back and say, hey, hey, I'm here, I'm here. And then it came back and it like looked at me and it looked at me for a while. Then I stayed with it for a while. And I think this sort of trickled off um, like the opposite of a crescendo musically, uh, like two more times where after a while of this like more intense gazing, my ego kicked in again and immediately it turned around. It was like a sensitive needle. It was like some kind of instrument that, not instrument, but for the metaphor, like a, a barometer to, to test the pressure sensitivity of my ego, you know, in, uh, fucking up this otherwise pristine um, connection and communion. It was a great teller of that and a great lesson to me of that. Um, so that was the crayfish, 1995-ish. That was my last semester in school, and after that I decided to pack up and uh, head out to Boulder, Colorado to teach art to the children of the rich. That was my plan. And along the way I was going to go see this uh, girlfriend, former girlfriend of mine who I'd had a long on and off and intense relationship with since I was, uh, I think, a sophomore in high school. Whenever she was a freshman, um, maybe I was a junior, I'm not sure, a sophomore or junior. And that was, didn't go the way I thought I was like invited to stay there for the summer and it, it just didn't happen that way. And, and um, you know, I was driving around, I, I was just living out of my car, it was cool, it was great. It doesn't, sounds bad, but it was fantastic. I had, like, the trunk all set up like a cafe. Like, I'd pop the trunk open, and I had my stove there. I could just open the stove and, like, make some coffee, and I had some food there. And, you know, it's like an insta-cafe out the back of my truck, and I could trunk, and I could sleep in the back seat if I needed to. Otherwise, I had tent and stuff and uh, snacks next to me in the front seat. I think a lot of carrots and nuts, which made my poop, like, absolutely perfect if there was, like, a competition at what it won and anyways was that a digression probably um i was driving around and i was going to uh south dakota towards bear butte which is a sacred butte a small mountain isolated from a chain um in south dakota sacred to the cheyenne as well as some other tribes i think perhaps lakota as well and I had been invited uh, to the the reservation, the sacred part, um, by some Cheyenne uh, a few times. I was going there to meet them and and help them out, and uh, here and there, and spending some time there. And was so I was I was invited to to be there in a good way, in the way that one should be there, respectfully and and holy, like treating the land as holy land. And. Um, I went on top of this mountain and I had around my neck this leather pouch that I carried things in that were special to me. I had a coin in there that had like a special 
Native American prayer inscribed on it about uh, it ended with the line may I walk in beauty and that really helped me a lot at that time um, I had different small items that reminded me of different big people or ideas or, or values in my life or animals loved ones and as I'm up on top of this butte, I know that now, although this hadn't been the plan, I'm going to pray. I'm gonna I'm gonna pray here and I'm gonna take I'm gonna reach in this pouch and I'm gonna take something out and I'm going to set it on the ground. Whenever I take out, I'm gonna leave here and I'm gonna pray for that thing. And I took out what was a shell, and it was a shell given to me by this girlfriend, and it was it's what had represented her and I my first instinct was like nope that's going back I'm going to take something else but then I was like no that's what this is for I'm, I'm going to take this and I'm going to pray for this and, and leave this here and I did so and I needed to do so I, I had to leave that that relationship in the form that it had been in my life it had been a like wonderfully powerful hurricane or something it, it had you know sunshine and rainbows but also high winds and treacherous weather for for my heart and I was still very much attached to it and had a hard time letting go even though you know it was probably past due and on this up on this butte um I had to let that go and I prayed for it and I'm praying and I'm praying I'm praying the way that I pray I think the way that many people may pray when it's really your prayer between you and and creator you and source is something that is beyond words when we use words words are just pointers and they're pointing at some meaning which is there which doesn't have a word attached to it necessarily the word is just some some indicator where it is where the meaning is, where the intention is. And to, to describe what I was saying is a bit difficult, but it was definitely to have the strength to let this go and to be grateful for it um, and and to let it go. And I'm, I let it go and I'm praying and my eyes are closed and I, with my eyes closed, I stand up and I put my arms out, and this is on top of the butte, and there's prayer ties around for where people have done um, vision quests up there, and you know this is on the, the top of this isolated mountain, and, and I'm praying, and my eyes are closed, and I stand up, and I put my arms out to my side, and my palms up towards the heavens, and I put my head back, and my eyes are still closed, and I'm crying, and I'm praying, and then I open my eyes, and right above me, is an eagle just staying still in the wind with its wings outstretched in parallel with my arms like to match my form like I don't know 10 feet above me like I don't know what that is 3 meters or something above me and it was wonderful and in the tradition that I was first taught in with from the Ojibwe from John Boltman was that the eagle is the one that takes your prayers to creator. And it was truly then that I, I had let that go. I had opened my heart back uh, open. You know, it had been cleaned. I had I was now like a free 
soul again, like a truly reborn person in my heart from having that attachment for so long. And it was healthy and it was wonderful. And however that animal came to be there at that moment, um, it can be, you can choose to explain it in a pragmatic, non-spiritual, disconnected sense if you want to. I certainly don't. I don't know how to describe what is happening behind the events of me being there and the animal being there like that. Uh, And I don't need to. To me, this is significant. And I would say, as I was in the beginning, it is a connection of consciousness. It is somehow a... um, an accentuation of a moment that was an opportunity to to sh- sort of brighten the light of it. And so we, we came together that way. Um, soon after that, I went to Idaho uh, that, that winter. I ended up living out in Idaho in the mountains on Mount Idaho in an earth lodge. And that was a life-changing experience I've talked about before, and we'll do so more later. But after that winter, I came back and uh, was staying at my mom's for a little while and was sort of like unmoored and wondering what is to happen next. And so I was reminded just to like pray and to be comfortable with the moment when you don't know exactly where you're at or where you're going and to trust the universe. And I I remember being up in my mom's bathroom, and it, which is on the sort of... Um, second story of the house and was looking out the back towards the woods and was praying was just saying to creator like hey like I'm I'm listening and I, I right now I don't know where I'm going from here I trust you I know that you have a place for me and uh, I'm listening up to then I was quite nervous and scared about it but then in that moment I decided to surrender and just like acknowledge like hey you know I, I trust you and though I don't know exactly where I'm heading I trust you have a plan and out of the woods walks a deer and the deer just kind of like looks up peacefully in my direction though I'm in the window behind this like black mesh mosquito screen and doesn't do much and then just like walks on Um, but to me that was to to keep looking towards nature and it reminded me to uh, to reach out to to John Boatman and I did so because you know what ironically I'm just thinking of this now huh Where that deer walked out of is where I was when I was walking into the woods and the hawk cried. It was right at the the edge of our yard, right at the beginning of the woods, where that, you know, right as I began the walk and I made that intention, that's where the hawk cried. Huh. Well, in any case, um, it, it, it encouraged me to call John and I ended up, that ended up being like the stepping stone to what happened next, which was, uh, quite significant including meeting the mother of my daughter. Um, And then, uh, last one that I'm sharing today on the list is in 1998, um, or it might have been later in that summer of 97, was it? Could have been. Anyways, it was shortly after returning from Idaho. It, it must have been later that summer. Um, I went out, I went back out to get my car because I had driven my car to Boise and flown back to Milwaukee. 
Uh, so then I went back out to get my car. The heat was, the sun had been so hot, it totally melted like the, the sleeping pad um, that I had used. Like burned it black, like holy shit, that must have been hot in that car. Um, and anyways, I, I went out to the Blackfeet. I did, uh, I, I, I participated in another of their the four day um, ceremonies, and I, I'm sure I got there early and spent more time. I spent a lot of time out there, and I'm just more grateful than I can ever say for that those episodes, those chapters in my life, um, and are still with me, absolutely super strong in my heart. Um, I've got actually sage in my cheek right now uh, from the land out there that I, I gratefully found a bag of um in my things that were important to me i'd forgotten that i had it which is fantastic uh, but again digression i went out there for the ceremonies again and after the ceremonies i did a uh, two-night fast which was a short fast um and in this fast there was i went up with another guy uh, that followed the cheyenne traditions and he would cover himself with a sheet and sit perfectly still for the entire time. And I would um, follow the ways that I was shown by the, the Blackfeet family out there where I make a tobacco circle and I have like my sleeping bag and tarp over it. But otherwise, um, yeah, I can, I can smoke tobacco and I can pray, but there's no drinking water. There's no, of course, eating any food. And it's just praying. And as I'm sitting there praying and praying and praying hard, I hear all sorts of noise. I wonder what this guy is doing. This Cheyenne dude, uh, or dude, white dude following the Cheyenne way. Um, what, what is he doing? He's making all this noise. But, you know, I just kept sitting there closing my eyes. And I thought if a bear came, like, I'm just going to sit here and keep praying and close my eyes. Like, whatever's coming, like, I'm just sitting here and I'm praying. And I hear this sound come up, and it's like... Like right next to my ear, and it's to the other ear, and it, and as I'm sitting there in that period of time over those, uh, you know, the half a day, a night, a day, a night, and a morning, like periodically during those times of sitting there praying, I would have this covering my ear and around me, and I didn't look to see what it was. I just kept my eyes closed and kept praying. Never found out what it was. Came down the mountain turned out that actually the the big noises i was hearing uh, the other guy heard too thought it might have been me and it turned out to have been like a bear up there turning over logs like looking for grubs so there was like a grizzly bear up there getting some food uh real close to both of us very close to where that guy was and um that's that's amazing hope that guy's well right now i'm thinking of him after this after leaving the reservation there in Montana, I went back for one last uh, look at Mount Idaho, where I had spent the previous winter, one last time to to say hello and goodbye. And nobody was on the land, and I went up there, and uh, it was sad. It was such a meaningful passage in my life. It was so meaningful to me in growing with relationships and my understanding of myself and others for the partner that I'd had there, for the meeting my dog, Golden, there, um, for our cat, for the lessons from nature, from the water, the trees, the snow, the sky, the sun, the animals, goats, coyotes, bears, mice, 
moose, what have you, deer, elk, turkey vultures. I was crying. I, I got out of the car and I was I was crying and I was praying again and crying and it was raining. It was like the sky was crying with me. It was raining. It started to rain as I was crying. It was raining pretty good and I just stayed outside the car and was crying and praying and being grateful. And then, like I hear that sound again and I'm like, what? And I open my eyes and it's a hummingbird. There's a hummingbird directly in front of me, like right, like inches in front of me perfectly still with this beautiful gleaming eye just piercingly crystal clear just right there looking right at me and that was the sound that I had heard up on the mountain fasting just days earlier that was who was there and this is you know this is like that was Idaho that was Montana where I was fasting this is Idaho now and uh, that's never happened to me before or since that was a meaningful animal encounter. All right, that'll do it. Boy, these are getting longer, aren't they? Um, I hope they're still enjoyable. And I hope that they're meaningful. And, you know, they're going to be meaningful to some and not to others. And that's totally cool. That's how it is. I love you all very much. I encourage you to find within yourself the miracle that you are as a living being and the unending connectedness that you have with all of life and to appreciate it and to love yourself with surrender and innocence and abandon and to find the same truth of love and worthiness of love in all beings, all creatures, not just our fellow humans, but all, all beings, all beings. All right, with that, Hope to talk to you again next time. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, things you'd like to me to talk about or talk more about or ask me about or whatever, let me know at all one time live at gmail.com. That's all one time live at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening today. Love you. Bye.